This is Sarah Heppala, one half of your Smoke em If You Got Em team. My better half, Nancy Rommelman, is presumably baking cookies right now. So I'm flying solo on this venture. And I wanted to share an interview I did with someone I happen to find very interesting. Occasionally we'll be sharing these one-on-one interviews from our lives as journalists. And so this is our first outing. Uh, some of you might know I inserted myself into the madness that is the Depp v. Heard trial last week. I flew out to Fairfax, Virginia, which is not far from D.C. It was a little bit of an impulse, a bit of intuition, but I did have a couple goals in mind, and one was to interview this man, Nick Wallace. I really didn't know much about him, aside from his delightful accent. But I'd been listening to his podcast, Reporting Depp v. Heard, for weeks. I'm sure if you've been listening to our podcast, you've heard me reference it probably every episode. And I can tell you that it is hands down the best reporting on this strange spectacle. I'm posting this on Friday, which is the final day in court for the long, dark night that has been Depp v. Heard. And it's... I don't really think I'm overselling things to say that anything could happen. We, we, we really don't know what's next here. I mean, you'll hear Nick and I scrambling to make sense of this case and why it matters and, and what's going on and who to believe. So I was very curious about Nick Wallace before I met him. And having spoken to him for an hour, I am now even more of a fan. So please allow me to introduce you to the best reporter on Depp v. Heard, so we can all try to figure this out together. Well, here we are. Nick Wallace, I did not want to follow the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. I thought that it was kind of sordid, and I wasn't particularly interested in it. But on the first day of his testimony, somebody texted me about it, and I started watching it, and I fell into the rabbit hole that is this story. And I never came back. And the more I watched it, the more I really hungered for real reporting. Like, for instance, there was all this stuff on social media and and tabloids about this story. But I was looking for the real journalists covering the story. And that brings me to you. Because it was the only thing I could find was reporting Debbie Heard. Right. And... One observation I have about you is that I thought you were like 50 years old. Yeah. And then now you're like, tw- I think you're like 25 years old. I'm 50 next year. What? <laughs> so I sound 50. Are you really that old? Yeah, I'm very old. I totally thought you were like 25. That's, why? <laughs> I don't know, you have such a boyish. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll take it, thank you, that's very kind. Wow, well there was a compliment and an insult embedded no, no, in that, no, no. either way that you went, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to discern which one, but thank exactly. you. Exactly. But I'm very happy. Um, so I have listened to the podcast uh, religiously. I think you've done an extraordinary job of doing many sides of this story, of this incredibly complicated story. Yes, sorry, I'm British, I'm not very oh used to all God, this Oh my God, this, this is so adorable. Just, like the, blushing and the like squirming. You've actually got me sweating. I, I, thank you very much for the kind words. Let's, well, can we let's talk about your on. colonialist yes. past as a country? Will that yeah. make you feel better yeah, if I yeah. bring up the shame? Whatever you like, whatever you like. <laughs> okay, anyway. I'm not very right. good at being interviewed either because I'm not very used to, <laughs> exactly. used to asking lots of questions. Exactly. I'm not very good at being interviewed. So here's my question for you. I have so many questions. Okay. But one of them is, I know you covered the London trial. Yes. And I want to ask you some questions about that. But before we get to that, what is your background? What is your journalism background? I was trained up by the BBC in 2000 after having got a job there as a kind of dog's body, uh, sort of production assistant kind Mm -hmm. of job. I was working in local radio doing sort of bits of everything. So the BBC has lots of local radio stations as well as the national stuff. And um, that was, I think, the last period of BBC expansion, as in there were jobs going. Yeah. And um, my boss sent me on a sort of, they used to call it, jokingly, the BBC internal brainwashing course, where they uh-huh. sort of send keen young things in and they come out BBC journalists. Um, and that's, that's essentially what it was. We got, we got um, training on every aspect of broadcast journalism. 
So that's my background. And I just spent, and I, I, know I wasn't very good to start with, but I was keen. And I spent um, the next four years um, moving from local radio to national television on a digital service. And then I went to national radio um, and really cut my teeth properly there. I had a sort of, um, it was sink or swim. And so I had to sharpen up everything about, about my reporting and my writing and, and, and um, everything. And that, I think, was kind of the making of me. So that was mid-2000s. And then I went freelance and just basically I've been freelance ever since, just picking up stories wherever I can and, and, and just, yeah, just a jobbing hack, really. And then you did the Depherd trial at the UK, which was over the sun. Yes. Without the sun. Yes. And help me understand... How was that different than this experience here in America? Their trials, they're, they're, they have some similarity, but yeah. there's some very specific differences. Well, there's, I mean, the, the, the biggest thing at the time was that it was in the middle of the pandemic. So this was mid-2020. We'd just come out of lockdown. And I was working as a freelance reporter for a news organization called Five News. And... They, they, they had been using me um, through the pandemic, but I was doing pandemic stories. Yeah. And then the, the assignment said, they called me up the night before and said, um, you're going to the, 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 the Johnny Depp trial. And I said, mm-hmm. okay. Um, and I said, he's not here though, is he? And I went, yeah, yeah, he's in the country. I said, all right. So, so I you know, did my reading and I went along um, because and it was just so weird. You know, I went up to London on a completely empty train walked through deserted central London to the Royal Courts of Justice, which is this sort of 19th century Gothic palace in central London. And it, it was happening. And, but it was, it was pretty much the only trial that was happening. And they had it over five courts because social distancing. So you had... Oh, that's so weird. Yeah, so you had the main court. You had an overflow court just for lawyers. And then you had two public galleries, which were empty to start with, two public, two courts given over to spectators, and then a court full of journalists. So the, the, all the journalists, the journalist court was absolutely heaving and there were snappers outside, uh, paparazzi outside waiting for the principals to turn up. But the rest, it was like they'd been transplanted from some red carpet event in a bubble because there, were, there was no public, there was nothing. That's and surreal. So that was a genuinely surreal experience, especially when Johnny Depp did turn up. And I was like, oh, he's actually here. How strange. Did you know Johnny Depp? Did you have any? No, I've never had any contact. I used to do entertainment journalism when I first started at Radio 1. And so I um, have had a lot of experience sort of interviewing right. people like Bruce Willis, Halle Berry, um, various, uh, Will Smith, various sort of film stars come over when they do their promotional yeah. tour. Um, and so I sort of kind of know the drill with high profile people. But just the fact that Hollywood had turned up to central London in the middle of a global coronavirus um, situation was, was really hard to process. So I, got, I had to get over that, first yeah. of all. Then I had to deal with the, the, the difference between that trial and, and this is that he was suing the Sun newspaper. He wasn't suing Amber Heard and it wasn't televised. So the journalists in that overflow court were the only source of public information as, very as, important. as to what very was going important. on. Well, what I didn't know, I just started idly live tweeting it because in the UK, you're, if you're a journalist or a legal observer, you're allowed to live tweet court proceedings without asking the judge's permission. I think in the US, having done my research, Live tweeting always has to have the judge's permission. Um, And in some jurisdictions, don't like it at all. And that's the situation in Virginia. But I was just sort of idly bashing out what was happening Mm. in court and and what was going on. And suddenly my Twitter mentions started spinning like a roulette, not roulette wheel, fruit machine wheel, just like that. And of course, I realized that, A, well, I didn't quite realize how big a star Johnny Depp was and how many people were interested in what was going on. But... B, there were no American journalists in the UK because they couldn't get into the country to cover the trial. So, so I, I became the only person at, at first providing blow-by-blow coverage of what was happening in court. And there was a huge army of people out there who wanted to know about it, but also were then telling all their networks right. about it. So, so at one stage, I was getting 10 million tweet impressions a day for what I was, what I was churning out. Um, and it, 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 it yeah, I, I, I finished my duties for Channel 5 News and I just said idly. And I didn't know whether I'd be able to get into court because my place in court had been got for me by Channel 5 News. But I knew they weren't staffing it the next day. So I just said online, I said, look, if I can get back into court, do you want me to keep doing this? Yeah. And uh, there was a big response. So I thought, well, I'm not doing anything else. I mean, 
work was pretty sporadic during the pandemic for, for, for freelance journalists. I was living off scraps. I had nothing in my diary for the next 10 days. So I, I, I turned up the next day and sort of got in on the nod from the usher. I was, you know, remember me from yesterday. <laughs> uh, got in, sat down in the, the five news space and started. And, I, and then I said, I said, look, I got into court. Um, if you want to make a contribution to my tip jar, I'd be extremely grateful. Um, and, you know, pay for my train fare and lunch money yeah. type thing. And people were so generous that I very quickly, not, not that day, but I sort of thought, well, like, if I keep coming back and doing this, I'll be able to get enough money to basically see me through in the next 10 days. And then on the back of that, I thought, well, all I'm doing is, you know, just bashing out my impressions of what's going on. Because it's really hard to do verbatim quotes when people are talking, because obviously I'm not that good a typist. Yeah. But also every time you hit submit, it, there's a hang time while it uploads onto the internet where you can't be tweeting and all that sort of thing. So, so I've always said that, you know, unless I write something in direct quotes, it's not a direct quote. I'm just yeah. paraphrasing what's being said yeah. and describing what's going on. Yeah. And um, I felt that this was sort of, you know, I was, I was getting so much attention. So many people were sort of thirsty for this information. I then made an application to the court to get the transcripts of the trial. And I'd, I'd used this before in a previous high court case. Basically, if you want to get the transcripts of, of, of the case, the immediate answer is no. The default answer is no. Mm -hmm. Lawyers want to control information as yeah. much as they possibly can. But in the UK, there is a commitment to open justice. It's a thing. And so, the, so if you apply to the court for the transcripts, the parties are going to have to come up with a really good reason why you can't have the transcript. So um, I've been asking the parties for the transcripts, and I've been seeing whether or not I could buy them from the transcription service, and it just wasn't working out. So by day five of the trial, I, you know, I, I thought, right, okay, I'm going to apply to the court. So I sort of lurked outside the main court. Johnny Depp swept past drinking his coffee and um, handed both the leading counsel for each party my application. I said, look, I just want to warn you that I'm putting in an application to the judge to get the transcripts. Um, uh, this is what the application says. You know, obviously, you might want some comments from you, so at least forewarned is forearmed and, you know, super polite and nice. And then I told the usher that, you know, could I speak to the clerk of the court? Clark comes out and they're very busy people. And like, well, I don't think the judge is going to look at this. I said, well, could you just, just put it in his hand just before proceedings start? And the judge, Mr. Justice Nicholl, came in and I said, well, I will wait outside court because sometimes they want you to make oral submissions in support of an application. And, and you know, they were all a bit sort of twitchy about me being there because of social distancing and all that sort of thing. I said, look, you know, come on, I'm, I'm keeping my space. If he wants me to come in and make an oral submission in, in, in support of my application, I'm here. Uh, and, and they went, mm -hmm. Disappeared off. Justice Nicholl walks in. He said, I've received an application from a member of the media. Does anyone have a problem with this? And, and all the body went, no one. <laughs> and, and so he didn't even need to make an app. He didn't even need to make a court order right. to give me the thing. And then from then on, just simply because the judge has sort of indicated that, you know, you know what, what, does anyone want anything to say about this? No, fine. Is there a problem with it? No, fine. Great. And that was it. So then I got the daily transcripts every day, which I then which then was a factual record of what was happening wow. in court rather than just the tweet. That was you know, incredibly the, enterprising. And then, and then uploaded those onto Well, I just thought, you know, <coughs> I, am, I, I, was, I was being given more money than my train fare and, and, yeah. and, and, and yeah. lunch money. So I thought, well, look, let's provide a proper service. So, so I uploaded all these transcripts onto my website. And again, I mean, I don't, I, no, I, don't, I don't look at the traffic on my website, but I know that those documents were considered to be quite important. So that's, so that's how I became familiar with this, this whole case. And you, and you sort of backed into an enterprising independent journalism. I mean, you know, you had been I'd doing... I've done that kind of thing before, yeah. I, yeah. yeah, I'd done crowdfunding for my journalism before, which is why I had the tip jar yeah. and why I knew how to apply it, to the court. So, so all the framework was there. But you've answered one of my questions, which is why that UK trial wasn't really covered that much in America. Yeah. Because I really didn't hardly hear about it. It wasn't on television. That's why it wasn't covered that much. And we, I mean, you didn't have any American journalists. We didn't journalists have any there. American journalists. So there. Mail Online, and, and you know, uh, Ben um, Ben Ashburn, I think is his surname. Forgive me, Ben. Um, he, he's the Daily Mail journalist who Adam Waldman gave his quotes to. Oh, but be, because, right, right, right. because the Daily Mail took a huge interest in England in the English trial, um, Ben develops a specialism in it. And the, the Daily Mail's website called The Mail Online is huge in America. So that was doing great numbers on yes. the back of the reporting because they have a presence in the United States. Yeah. But they, because again, no American journalists from any other American website or newspaper were over there. I think I think Ben and the Daily Mail did very well out of their reporting, and as a result, you know, he developed that relationship with Adam Waldman, which is 
part of the reason we're all here. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> when you covered it, what were your takeaways about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and the culture of American celebrity? Uh, in, in, in person, they both seemed very intelligent, very on point, very sober. Johnny was a lot more sprightly than he was this time around mm -hmm. and, and a lot more lively. Um, he seemed very ponderous on this occasion and, and, and sort of heavier. Um, although, as I said this to someone who turned around and said, we've had two years of a pandemic, we're all a little heavier, um, which is a very good point. But um, yeah, no, they, they, in terms of who, what they were like on the stand, they, they, they're sharp people with charisma, and that's why they're stars. Um, in terms of sort of the cult, the celebrity, there was this sort of extraordinary worldwide opera being played out in private jets and residences all over the world that was... Um, sort of grotesque and fascinating at the same time. And obviously the sort of toxicity of their relationship was horrendous. And, uh, but I don't know whether that's got anything to do with celebrity, I suppose. I mean, what's that this amazing quote about Robert Redford, isn't it? Someone was asked what he's like, someone who knew him quite well. And he said, imagine 40 years of never hearing the word no. And one of Amber Heard's arguments is that Johnny Depp is surrounded by enablers who cover up his messes, who clean up all the damage, who protect him, who, who you know, never say no to him because he's their boss. And so I can't imagine that is good for the mind. In fact, one of the first things that Johnny Depp said in court was that, the, you know, the culture of celebrity becoming such a big star is not good for your mental health. It's not. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's what I made of it. I mean, it was, you know, I've covered pretty grotesque stories in the past on a celebrity level, but this was altogether a different ballpark. And just to put a few finer points on the difference between the American and English justice system, you guys don't have juries. Not for libel. We do have juries for Got criminal it. trials and some civil trials, but they were largely, and you can have one for a libel trial, but I can't remember the last one. I mean, I think it was around 2013 they were canned as a cost-saving measure. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. We had one judge making a decision on all the evidence. And um, we tend to trust our judges to be very learned, very um, experienced and very thorough and very fair. And so when the, the verdict came out, Everyone went, well, he's a wife beater then. But there's, but there's differences in this trial because in that case, they were suing the son. Yes. In this case, he's suing Amber Heard for yes. defamation, which allows a certain element of discovery to come yes, forward. Yes, exactly that. So, um, so they're a little bit different in terms of the data set. Well, she tried to stop this trial from taking place on the basis that it had been tried in the UK. And why is she being tried again? And the judge took the view, argued by Johnny Depp's lawyers, that exactly that. Because she wasn't the defendant in that trial, she was only a witness, um, Johnny Depp was not entitled to certain elements of discovery, which we call disclosure in the, in the okay. UK, um, which he would get if she was a defendant. And so on that basis, allowed the trial to go ahead. So yeah, that's, that's why it's essential. But it, you know, all of the, not all of them, there is some new evidence, quite a bit of new evidence, but there is also an awful lot of stuff being rehashed. Uh, okay. old ground gone over so yeah and so when this next trial rolls around unlike amber heard you're not like oh i've already seen this you're like i'm hopping on the next train and <laughs> i like that i'm yeah. gonna have you on a train to america yeah. no, 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 under the water yeah. <laughs> um no you you decide you want to come cover this why did you why having gone through the punishing grotesque uh spectacle of mm. the UK trial, did you decide to sign up for more? Um, because the journalism that I was doing in the UK was quite pure in that I wasn't doing any analysis. I didn't have to work for an editor. I was basically taking in what was happening in court and funneling it out into mm -hmm. the ether. Uh, and then doing the sort of, you know, grabbing the documents and making sure that, that, that they were available as well. So it was it was sort of journalism almost in its purest form, or certainly media in its purest form. I was being a medium for information and just channeling it through the resources that I had. Now, I possibly had the hope that this trial would be something similar, that I'd get to live tweet it, that I would get my hands on the transcripts. Of course. And I set up a website for the purposes of sort of getting all the information together and getting it out there. And, and it's always been my stated ambition to be as objective and neutral as possible in everything that I do. Um, uh, because that's how the BBC train you up. You know, there, there are multifaceted sides to every story. Don't take a view. Don't, 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 don't be opinionated. Just, just don't get in the way of the facts. 
the way it panned out um, is that the judge was not going to allow any electronic items in court, so you, there was no live tweeting. So, so, so you know, if, if she wasn't going to allow any electronic items in court, there's no point in asking if you can tweet because you can't. <laughs> because you forget it. <laughs> and um, or, because it was going to be televised, the value of live tweeting was diminished. And the judge refused to even consider my application for transcripts because, huh. again, after asking the parties and being told directly by one of the party's senior lawyers that, no, I would not get the transcripts because it contained all the sidebar information, which I'm still not, still not sure. Um, but it, you know, it was a convenient excuse. Um, I haven't got that transcript and I haven't been live tweeting. So my coverage of this trial has been much more analytical. I do a newsletter for the subscribers and um, uh, I have tried to make it more interesting than just you know bashing out quotes. So I've tried to characterize my responses to what was going on in court. And I've had a lot of people say, that's not what we donated to you for. You know, you're not here to give us your opinion, even if it's, huh. even, even if I'm not taking a view on who's right and who's right, wrong. Right. I'm just trying to provide some kind of sense of context and what it was like to be in the room. Um, uh, but so other people appreciate it. Other people say, look, you know, I like the fact you're not taking sides. I like the fact that you're sort of bringing it to life a bit for us. Um, um, but it, it's it's been a very different experience. But also, you know, I've got to come to DC and hang out in Virginia, meet some incredible people. I've met some of the most wonderful, I mean, they're 99% debt fans. And, you know, they've given up asking me what I think, which is great. And I just get to enjoy their friendship. And it, it's been really, really lovely. Um, they're a very sweet crew. They're a very sweet and the personalities involved crew. and the reasons that they come to this story are all multifaceted and all very, very interesting. I mean, online is, is an absolute cesspool and it's, it's horrendous what happens on there. But by the same token, if it wasn't for social media, I wouldn't be here. So I've got a lot to be grateful to social media yes. for. But I, I, I think the ragging on um, individuals uh, which, which is you know, encouraged and circulated online is unfortunate, but you know, it's, it's the world we're in. So the scene here at the uh, Fairfax County Courthouse. Yes, because you've been down for. I've two been days down now, here. Yeah. Is very different than what you describe in Britain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a social scene around it, isn't there? Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm struck by a couple things. One of them is yours took place during the pandemic, and so. There's not many people there at the Fairfax County Courthouse. There's all sorts of social networks and, and social like little communities that have developed. Yeah. You know, I spent some time with the women that hang out by the gate. Yes. Around the back, around the back, because Johnny Depp goes out and, right. and has smoke breaks and lunch breaks and comes in and out. And they're there most of the day. So if you can't get into court, you yes. go around the back. If and then there's this whole community that's that's forming around getting in the lines, mm. which I knew about from your podcast. <laughs> But it's really something else when you go and you see, I mean, they are leaving court and going directly into line. And then they can't line up until one o'clock. So they're in the parking garage congregating. Yeah. And the deputy sheriffs are sort of trying to police this, but it's partly self-policing because the deputy sheriffs are sort of, you know, these people aren't threats. To no. You know, so, so they're kind of going, look, as long as no one's causing any trouble with each other. And there is sort of, there's a bit of sharp elbow. And sort yeah, of, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. And then they stay up at night and they do Johnny Depp trivia. <laughs> And they bond and they talk about and they're all friends and they're hanging out in line. And it's really like kind of sweet. And then, you know, I'm struck by your description of at the UK trial, the, the room of heaving, the heaving room of journalists. Yeah. Which is totally what I expected when I got here and not at all what no, I No, there's no journalists here because we can't get into court because the Johnny Depp fans are queuing up from one in the morning and we have to do our work when court finishes. They can go home to bed or back into line and, yeah. and sleep in the line. We have to do our work. And so when this trial started, I, was, I got into court for the first three weeks, absolutely no problem at all, by right. turning up at four or five in the morning, um, which is still quite punishing because you're doing an 18-hour day. That is quite punishing. On, on, on every day. Um, but by week four, by the time this had taken off in the national media, there were, as you say, people queuing up from officially from one in the morning, um, but unofficially from a lot earlier. Yeah. And it squeezed all the journalists out. So all the journalists just buggered off back to their newsrooms. So there had been and, journalists. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the first week, Daily Mail, Sun, PA, um, New York Post, who comes and goes. She still comes yeah. and goes. Um, but, but yeah, there's, 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 I'm the only journalist. To, I think he's been here every day. I'm the only journalist to cover both trials. And it's... Which is astonishing to me 
because one of the things I wanted to, I, the first time I heard your podcast, you have an opening that says the celebrity trial of the century. Yes. And I was like, okay, Nick Wallace, I don't know you yet, but <laughs> it's only 20 years into the century. You Are you this sort of a presumptive close? No, says, no, no, celebrity trial of the century to date. I can't predict the future. Par parentheses. Right, to date. Well, yeah, but surely, surely. <laughs> if, you, if I said best book this century, there might be better ones over the next 80 years. Now, I did think about that phrase because I thought, is it the celebrity Well, that's what I, 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 yeah. And uh, in the five minutes that I had with my producer in the UK before I left to catch my flight, we couldn't think of a more, a bigger celebrity trial this century. Well, I, I mean, the, the biggest trials I can think of are obviously the O.J. Simpson trial and then yeah. the Michael Jackson trial. And Michael trial. Jackson was early 20th century. Michael J Jackson was 2002 yeah. or three yeah, or I something was, like yeah, that. Yeah, because I just started working up in... So, um, you know, you could make an argument for those. I, I, I actually think I, I, I met the phrase with skepticism. I have since come around to think it is actually exactly the right phrase. Prophetic, you could say. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, because it's the word celebrity. I, I really think something is happening with Hollywood celebrity, yeah. that it is fading and it is disappearing. Now, I don't know what celebrity or what it's going to mean moving forward, but the Hollywood system, Hollywood itself is sort of in a death spiral of sorts. I mean, the Will Smith incident that happened at the Oscars. Yeah, tell me, tell me about that, because we all sort of saw it and went, well, that happened, but it really, yeah. I mean, it, I mean well, no, all right. That that's my ten, tends to be my response to things. I have a I have a very sort of low excitement. You Brits? No, no, no. And I probably shouldn't speak for the entire nation. It was big news, but it was kind of like, like if the Queen came up and slapped now, Meghan Markle. That would be big news in the UK. But we were like, well, yeah. I mean, you know, no. That's he's he's an action hero. You know, he, someone someone made a joke that he didn't like about his wife. It was so he felt compelled. Weird. It was so creepy and it was so weird. It was like watching somebody poop the bed. I mean, it really was because the Hollywood big Hollywood's biggest night, yeah. And it's glamour and it's beauty. But I just thought, I just thought this is isn't this what the Oscars needs? <laughs> it needs a bit of sort of something. Well, one could argue that first of all, the Oscars have gone into the toilet for many, many yeah, reasons. They're, 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 you know, they're, they're, they're a silly... The figures have been going They're, they're a silly enterprise. Mm. I, mean, I grew up in the 80s, and it was sort of like, that was the biggest night for me, because I wasn't a sports fan. I was well, a in Hollywood In the 70s, kid. it was up there with the Super Bowl, wasn't it? Absolutely. You know, when you, when you suddenly saw these massive Hollywood icons actually... Being, outside being, the movies. Outside the movies, exactly. So it's this, this access to... So, that, so yeah, I can imagine now with and all this celebrity access, absolutely. the Oscars seems a bit of an anachronism. It, it, was, it was the 80s, and so then... But now, you know, I remember it was like maybe five years ago that I was like, wait a minute, is it really weird that actors get together and just give each other awards? <laughs> that is really strange. Like, what if you and I just decided to be like, yeah. well, who wrote the best, the best story this year? Yeah. I quite like the Oscars. I don't, I don't have a... Mm. I'm it's, done. I'm over it. Right. Because but what was the slap done? Because people are really sort of analyzing and overanalyzing all of this. I and... think that it, in in some ways, you know what what celebrity tabloids have done, what all sorts of celebrity scandals have done is unmask the Hollywood celebrity as not the person you thought they were, and this is the oldest story of Hollywood, and yet it keeps needing to be retold. Mm because the dream and the myth is that strong. Right. The dream that these people are better than us, more virtuous. I mean, it's a story that each generation tells and each generation dismantles. Yeah. Is that how this is all sort of feeding into the, the, the Johnny Depp mania? The idea that, um, oh, he's not a wife beater, he's just a chuckling kind of guy because he's a Hollywood superstar and therefore, you know, we've seen his human side in court and therefore he's obviously not a wife beater. Well, exactly. But is that to do with the veneration of celebrity or, or the veneration of movie stars in particular in America? I remember seeing, I want to say it was a BBC documentary when I was younger and it was about fame in the 20th century. One of the observations it made was that America doesn't have a royal family. Yes, I've heard this before. This is a British trope and I, I buy into it. So yes. I'm not saying it's wrong. And, and that, that you guys have this center of culture, which is the royal family, mm. whether you like it or not, whether mm. you're bored with it or not, whatever, that is sort of like the solid 
moral base yeah. of the country. And America doesn't have anything like that. But you so, don't have the, I mean, the office of the president comes pretty close, doesn't it? Because that is, is that not a respected position anymore? Is Boris Johnson a moral center no, 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 of no, your no, country? No, I'm no, saying, no, no. I'm well, just making the office of the president, isn't the president as, as the, the leader of the country that, well, that, I that think, carries um, a huge amount of symbolic weight? I think that's right, both nationally and internationally. But that also, everybody's brain got broken yeah, when no, Trump, no, the, last, the, last, the last guy, I mean, he just broke people's brains. Yeah. But I think from the time of like, one of our presidents got shot. I mean, you, you know, 63 mm -hmm. Dallas, Texas, where I live, President John F. Kennedy is shot in a motorcade. I mean, mm -hmm. that just punches through this idea that like Camelot is real. Of course, that right. court in particular was... So, so seedy. So, I mean, had like you know, I was having all these affairs. So anyway, there's a series of well, yeah, sort of like Clinton as well. So, so let's yeah. So, 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 yeah, but you know, but movie stars are expected. I, I always expect movie stars to behave badly. I, I, well, so I, that's I, one I, of the things. And that's so one of the interesting things that's interesting about Johnny Depp is that one of the things that increases his cachet through the '90s mm. and the aughts is that he is a bad boy, that he yeah. isn't behaving well. He's not a virtuous celebrity. Yeah, he has Winona Forever changed to Wino mm. Forever. Mm. Oh, yeah, he venerates Hunter S. Thompson. He's and, hanging out with Hunter and, S. Thompson. Richards, yeah. Exactly. So it's very interesting that a cultural moment shifts. Some, some, like something goes different in the culture, and we stop venerating that kind of reckless hedonism. Now, I would place this in America around the pivot of woke politics in 2010 to 2013, mm -hmm. and then bleeding into the Trump, Me Too and the Trump moment. Yeah. And the idea that. of boys behaving badly is now not at all a welcome idea. Well, I mean, yeah. Remember that, that Trump had that Access Hollywood video. The, with the grab by the pussy. Exactly. Great. Yeah, and, and, and I've, I've heard someone sort of take, take, take that quote and sort of say, well, what did he say? I can do what I want because I just grab him by the pussy and they let me. And he, he was... So he was saying that this this is a this is a power play in which men and women can be complicit sometimes. This is this is one of the interesting conversations that I've had around this trial. Yes, because, because the, there are so many cultural fault lines running through this That's trial. That's right. The the idea that that um, uh, that women aren't just victims. That's right. Uh, aren't always just victims and shouldn't be considered victims. But there's there's an industry around victimhood mm -hmm. which makes it easy for easier for women to fulfill that role. But of course, it's damaging to both sexes if, if women go down that route. I would completely agree with that. And then I think additionally, which I even begun to explore. Well, <laughs> and I think additionally, there's a generational fault line here because I think there's a lot of younger women that think older women like me. I'm in my 40s, so I'm very mm. firmly Gen X. Mm. Do you use that phrase in Britain? Gen yeah, X? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I think they had a sense that we have internalized a sense of sucking it up, being yes. tough. And there's a there's a younger breed of women who are going, fuck that. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. which is great. Which yeah. is great. Yeah. But then there there needs to be a balance between them. I mean, don't suck up a bunch mm. of bullshit. There's, there's also something about the, the cancel culture, um, sort of social justice warrior woke kind of um, left field thinking, uh, which is very puritanical. Yes. Which, which goes back to what you're saying about sort of not tolerating bad behavior anymore. Um, uh, I find that really interesting because uh, it's kind of self-defeating because human beings will be human beings. That I'm not talking about sort of violence against other people. I'm talking about recreational drug taking, yeah. counterculture, countercultural thinking. Uh, and, and having an independent streak. I mean, obviously, when it crosses over into violence, that's unacceptable in any in any situation. But but if if you were in a wider puritanical movement, then thing, things like partying and drinking breakfast it starts starts to become sort of frowned on. Exactly. And I mean, you know, we're getting into the Me Too moment, and we're getting into the moment when Amber Heard releases her letter mm -hmm. because the depth. Divorce drama happens in 2015, 2016. This hasn't really quite taken hold in the culture yet. Mm -hmm. But when Me Too pops up yes, in America, it did. It did. And it came after Trump, and it's a Hollywood generated mm -hmm. phenomenon in the sense that Harvey Weinstein was yeah, yeah, really yeah, the case yeah. that broke it open. Yeah. Now, Harvey Weinstein, hold on, I'm going to cough. <laughs> Excuse me. Harvey Weinstein 
I think was portrayed as an a uniquely monstrous character, whereas I think he was actually indicative of a lot of the soul rot that had been going on in Hollywood yeah. since the beginning. Yeah. In a kind of transactional space yeah. where people would do anything to get noticed yes. and to get famous. I don't think that many people were physically, that many young women were physically attracted to Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> and, you know, I think, I think one of the things that happens is that Hollywood kind of distances itself from people like Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey, and they send them out, out like scapegoats. Yeah, but yes, that's the, oh, no, the system. But absolutely. The system like, yeah. we're yeah. the good people, yeah. and they're the ones that are the nasty actors. But I was noticing around these years when people like American like counterculture heroes or rock and roll heroes, like for instance, David Bowie is the one that comes to mind. Mm. He's not American, he ended up mm. in America, but he's British. Yeah. When he died, there was a lot of, you know, normally when somebody dies, well, you're not supposed, you're supposed to only say nice things about them. Yeah. And that guy got trashed. Did he over here? Oh God, he was, he was properly venerated in the UK. There was actual outpourings of public grief when he died. There was a lot of stuff around him dating groupies and taking sexual advantage of groupies. Oh, interesting. Because there was, he that had was had... touched on ever so slightly. But I mean, you know, Dame David Bowie is, is a saint in, in, in the UK and- As he should be. Uh, and, and when he died, there was not a word bad, said, a bad word said against him. There was, a, there, was a, there was one sort of person recounting the fact that after they'd done a a voiceover session in a recording studio, he got his knob out and he said, <laughs> special treat or something like that. And it was clearly a joke, but of course in, in, the, in the wider context and the, the cultural, you know, that could have been seen as sexual assault. It was flashing, you know. No, there and, was And, and some... then she recounted this story sort of, I think as a kind of, oh yeah, that, was, funny. that, was, that was, well, or that was just a thing that David did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. But of course it's, it's viewed through a different lens. That's, some people would say, very much not okay. And in America, we were in a moment. We were having a moment. Yeah. And a lot of the feminist blogs were very prominent But they never the got time. the rock stars. This is what I don't understand. Because when you hear these incredible stories, and I'm going to be very careful not to name names, but you hear these stories of what happened to rock stars in the 70s, 80s, 90s, oh. and noughties. You know, why hasn't anyone started picking apart those stories? Because, yeah. Led Zeppelin's still hanging out among us, you know, like... <laughs> I'd be very careful mentioning names. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, as if the everyone wouldn't be thinking those names. But yes, you're exactly right. I mean, that's a really interesting thing. I mean, I think in some ways there's an understanding. I mean, some rap stars have been... R. Kelly is mm -hmm. the example. Mm -hmm. But he was an extreme example. But I mean, was I mean, but I mean that case... Underage groupies grooming and... I mean, and all sorts of sordid behavior. Stuff, yeah, 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 yeah. But for some reason, you know, like it's really focused on Hollywood and then yeah. also the media and like the, the journalist why, why, media. Why, why, why? why didn't um, the rock stars get it? Is that because we still allow our musicians to be badly behaved? It, it's possible. And then of course, Johnny Depp always wanted to be a musician. Always. He, that's, you know, that is the space that he inhabits. He, he became an actor by mistake, essentially. Oh, listen to accident. the trial. It sort of sounds like the long, sad tragedy of the guy that never became a rock star. Mm. And then, you know, did get to be a rock star. And when he was being a rock star, he was going into his tour bus and crying every night because he was uh, uh, in the middle of this horrendous divorce. So, exactly, exactly. Uh, so, okay, so we started out by uh, in this down these little Yeah, I'm sorry, I haven't, I haven't come to any conclusions because I'm still trying to chart this. Because obviously, calling out people for, uh, men largely, for aggressive sexual behavior and violence and uh, what the Me Too movement started a conversation about was well overdue. And I think one of Johnny Depp's witnesses, one of his expert witnesses in court, his Hollywood uh, deal-making lawyer, said, you know, it was, a, it was a necessary thing. It had to happen. But where it's gone as a result of this trial, I, I have no idea. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this trial. I'm in this court building every single day. I'm, I'm, I'm having very useful conversation with, yes. with you because it's, it's really good to try and get some analytical thought into this process. But at the moment, I'm so into the weeds of the facts of the yes. case that I haven't been able to step back and take any critical distance from this. So, and of course, the cultural repercussions of this trial are gonna go for decades. That's right. And they're, gonna, and they're gonna go out in ways that I don't think anyone can yet predict. Well, and that's why, again, I think Celebrity Trial of the Century works because I think this is going to have enormous repercussions. Mm -hmm. It's also a Celebrity Trial of the Century so far. So, so far. Notwithstanding uh, the Michael Jackson case. I should have put a disclaimer in like that. I'm like there's an right, asterisk? Sarah. I got this wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I oversold it. Um, it's what we do. <laughs> it's what we do. But anyway, um, but 
that's also why I'm actually disgusted by the failure of journalists to show up for this. I'm, see, I'm taking this out on the judge. The judge has abrogated her responsibility for justice to TikTok. She could have made provision for journalists to be in court, and that would have had value. She could have put limitations on how the footage could be legally used, but she didn't. She basically said, right, I'm going to let you come first come, first served, knowing, surely, that there would be fans queuing up yeah. by the hundred to get in. She made a hundred places available in court, and if you didn't get in as a journalist, then screw you. And she put it, she, she, she literally emptied the, the, the live feed of what was happening in court out of the window for anyone to do what they wanted with. So I don't think it's the journalist's fault. I, I don't blame them for not being here. If, if, you know, if you've got an editor who says, well, you can just watch it on telly, you know, I'm not going to have you sitting outside of court not getting into it. Okay, not- well, that's fair, and that's really good insight, but I'm still going to say it, it, I do blame the journalists because you don't, okay, so fine, you don't have to go every day and do what you're doing. It's mm. an, an extreme thing, but show up. Yeah, I know. I Freaking know. show up yeah, yeah. because there is a yeah. whole culture around the oh, trial yeah, 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 that you don't see on court no, TV. No. And you... You know, what it's allowing us to do by watching it on court TV, by having it adjudicated on TikTok and YouTube, by all these brand builders that are getting millions of new followers by just doing leaked audio or whatever mm. they're doing, um, is that you don't actually have interaction with the real humans that are that are here oh, and at they've the trial. all got interesting stories. And, 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 and it was one of the wonderful things, um, I will tell you, I recommended your podcast to a friend of mine who's a, a big podcast fan. She was about 10 minutes in and she goes, damn it, he's not going to do fan interviews, is he? Every time. And I go, yeah, he, he's going to do that. <laughs> and then uh, like 30 minutes later, she's like, I'm in love with these fan interviews. Well, the, the longer form uh, format that a podcast allows you to do, you get to drill into why people are really here. And you know, all, all the mainstream media wants to know is what the fans are saying about Johnny, what, the fan, well, how much, what, what, what you have to do as a fan in the role that the media create for you in this kind of environment is just to be a fan and talk about how much you love Johnny. And the more insane the love for Johnny, the more likely you are to get on. If you actually pick under the surface and find the the very complex reasons sometimes why people have come along to this trial, all human life is there. And that's that's the the fascinating part of it. And they bring these perspectives that I hadn't considered before, which all have validity, especially if it's lived experience. That's exactly right. I spent some time speaking to people in line And some of the things, the reasons that people gave me included the one woman that had gone through her own very similar divorce. She talked about what she called a trauma bond, which is a codependency term. Talks about you sort of like, we talked about mutual abuse. This is mutual trauma. That it's sort of like your, how do they say it in uh, Al-Anon? It's something like the holes in your neck fit the fangs in his oh, mouth right. kind of yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. you know, like yeah. there is and and Even though it's bad for both of you. Even though it's bad for both of you, neither of you can get out of it mm. and it lasts for years. And it becomes incredibly destructive then because there's not even one person trying to, you know, if you're both trying to lead and they both come back together again. Yeah, I mean, well, that <laughs> you listen to what's been happening in court. Yeah. There was clearly a period where they, 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 they were going through these incredibly loving periods and incredibly yes. destructive periods and loving periods and yeah. 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 So, um, like, this you know, is they both have very difficult childhoods. It, and... Uh, yes, and and you know, as somebody that you know, I'm I'm 12 years sober. I am fascinated. Thank you very as a much. Brit, I yeah, of course that, you should <laughs> be because you honestly come from a bunch of lousy drunks. Having said that, the amount of tap rooms there are, are near where I am in DC and Virginia, and your beer over here, a it's improved immeasurably from the unbelievable 80s. because it's the craft beer movement. The craft beer movement and. The, the the weakest beer I've been able to find is 4.8% in a pub. They go up to sort of seven or eight. Oh, absolutely. It's like you're, you're taking on the Belgians. So yeah, 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 it won't yeah, be long yeah. before you're like the UK. And the, the, yeah, DC right. yeah, is yeah. a bunch of politicians yeah, and they're very yeah. heavy drinkers. Yeah. and, and come, yeah, You're you know. catching up brilliantly. Well done. Yes. Uh, I missed the craft beer movement. It's one of the oh, sad stories of my listen, life. I was a beer years. drinker, but you know what? I'm, I've, I've had a, many other gains. But anyway, as somebody that studies stories about addiction, yeah. Johnny Depp's story of addiction was one of the most compelling I'd ever heard. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's a clear pathway, isn't it? I Unreal. Yeah. Betty Sue's nerve pills. Oh, the lot. Yeah. I mean, and I, I um, got to know an addiction doctor and um, his basic uh, formula was uh, addiction equals alcohol uh, dose over time. Yep. So 
if you start early, you are, in his view, 100% more likely to become an addict in later life because of the way that it reshapes your brain, it reshapes your behaviors, and eventually the addiction and the dosage just increases to the point where you can't function anymore. So if you start young, you're going to become an addict young. And he said the only thing that basically stops everyone from becoming an addict is death. <laughs> everyone is an alcoholic. Everyone who drinks is an alcoholic. They just they just haven't. That's fascinating. They just haven't. That's died, an, you know, I've never heard dead. that theory. That's very yeah. fascinating. Well, yeah. So that, I mean, it's, it's, it, he knows it's controversial. He knows it's yeah, provo yeah, yeah, provocative. Yeah. And of course, you can come off the wagon, uh, come go on the wagon. Um, but that's that's his theory that the younger you start, the, yeah. He said, you know, it, it is it is almost guaranteed that you are far more likely to become an addict. So it was very fascinating listening to a lot of the women talk about what had brought them here. Some of them were talking to me yesterday about how they have an allergy to the Me Too movement. Yeah. That they had yeah. a little bit. You think of the backlash to the Me Too movement as being led by, here in America, sort of Republican lawmakers mm -hmm. and men, white men in particular. Mm -hmm. But I was out there talking to women of various ages and colors that were saying, you know, we love Johnny because he represents a chivalrous male, not boy. That's a really dangerous statement right there. Yeah, and chivalry is, all, is problematic anyway. I it? mean, and so is Johnny Depp. I mean, as an example of that. But, but they want to have a guy open the door for yeah. them. They want to be called beautiful and special and have someone take care of them. Mm -hmm. And they feel as though something happened, some you know, ground shifted underneath their feet and suddenly what had always struck them as almost like a birthright as a woman. You don't get to be a princess anymore. Was being recast as, you know, condescending and patriarchal. And it was sort of like, mm. well, wait, wait, wait. I liked that part. I, I know a guy who I've got in contact with as a result of this trial who's a very interesting man. And he said his mother manipulated men to the extent that she used it to have them commit violence against one another and she got someone killed because she used she manipulated someone who thought he loved her into doing what she wanted to do and she took pleasure from that yeah basically a psychopath and she, and he and, and and he said that was playing on all the tropes of um feminine entitlement exactly and that and he said i've seen that close up and he said i do not have a relationship with my mother anymore because oh. i've seen her do that she's basically using all the things that about chivalry and about yes. standing up for a woman yes. and twisting it to create chaos. And I thought, bloody hell. Bloody <laughs> hell is right. I mean, that, that's fascinating, but, but that does, I mean, you know, like I, to me, I'm a little bit agnostic on the character of Amber Heard, but the public persona of Ang Amber Heard, mm -hmm. especially on, on social media and with the, the women that I was talking to, is that she is a massive and masterful manipulator. Well, it's the burn the witch kind of um, attitude, isn't it? Which um, is as old as the hills, hating on a, a woman, especially a, someone who might be perceived to be different in some way. And she's perceived she's incredibly beautiful. So let's hate yeah. on her for her incredible beauty. And and let's just hate on her in general because but she, she is... brought down our superstar. Well, that is, I think, the primary thing mm. that she did mm. was to take away the comfort food that is the beautiful image of Johnny Depp yeah. from the general public. Yeah. So, you know, she robbed us of Johnny and Pirate Six, Johnny's career, but yeah. also Johnny's Southern gentlemanly. Yeah. Yeah. The perfect image of the perfect. The dream. I mean, you know, he guy. was a dream for yeah. a lot of these women. Yeah. They're married or they're little girls. It doesn't matter. They're never going to meet him. Mm -hmm. What matters is that they have that dream. They need it for some reason. And she took it away from them. Ours was Rolf Harris. And it turned out he had feet. Have you, have you come across Rolf Harris? He was like, he was like the, the nation's kindly well, grandfather by the time that he was done. And he got done on the back of the Me Too movement for sort of inappropriate behavior. It was a bit handy. I always think a bit about more Jimmy than a bit Seville, handy. Yeah, cri but... criminal, criminal convictions for being more than a bit yeah. handy. But um, it was like, because all these old school entertainers from our childhoods oh. were getting picked off one by one. Absolutely. And some of them, you know, absolutely deserved it. And I, as a believer in the court and justice system, Rolf Harris clearly absolutely deserved it as well. But I remember when he was arrested, it was like, not Rolf. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, well, that was our Bill Cosby. Yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, Bill and you Cosby read the stories about what he was up to, you think, That's Jesus. a fall from grace. And, you know, so this is a situation where, like, to go back to the beginning of the Me Too mm. movement, is this necessary? Yes, it is. Overdue. Yes. 
did the social media activism, the sort of activist thinking, the black and white thinking of mm. believe all women, which is just, why would you ever believe anybody? Mm. We're journalists. Mm. Why would you ever believe everyone about anything ever? And, you know, you have to have a certain modicum of skepticism. Yeah. Well, we got caught up in this in the UK um, with a fantasist who claimed um, child sex abuse. And oh, the, yeah. the, the guidelines for the police at the time were believe them, believe people who say that they have, because obviously so many people in the past were not being believed and were being dismissed and poo-pooed as being... sweeping... But then when it becomes policy and you are yeah. then compelled to believe someone who turned out to be an absolute fantasist, yeah. good people are ruined as a yeah. result. Yeah, and I think we've now seen for years of, okay, so some of the bad guys got picked off, but like, hmm, you took down a few other people that maybe didn't need it and maybe there's somebody in the public eye or maybe there's somebody in your own life that you've seen in this backlash. And I think, so I think what this trial is representing in America right now is a sort of bookend of Me Too in some ways. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's over, mm -hmm. but there was a piece, I don't know if you saw it, uh, in the New York Times yesterday called Amber Heard and the Death of Me Too. I, I didn't see that. I saw one in Vogue magazine that's, that said enough is enough on the Deadly Her case. Believe all women. And I thought, read the room. Wow. <laughs> I didn't see that Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll forward you the link. And I, just, and, I, and I was, you know, the article was obviously rightly horrified at the treatment of Amber Heard online. But then when it got to the bottom bit, I just thought, if anything is going to come of this trial, <laughs> it's going to be a, a healthy scepticism, which is where we should, where we, well, healthy scepticism. Health skepticism as journalists, if you're in a slightly different role than you, you know, a therapeutic role or a clinical role, then you, you, you do have to believe to a certain degree. But, but the point at which it becomes an investigation is the point where you, you start putting the healthy skepticism back into things. So one of the reasons I think American journalists are not covering this as much is because establishment journalism had really aligned with Amber Heard. Yeah, and, and, and I that think really, it is that a, really pissed off a lot of people. And because I because they were going, well, hang on, there's two sides to every story. Exactly, and this was a moment when the idea of two sides was mm. actually becoming a little bit repellent, morally repellent, at least in the in the in the kind of journalist. Oh, there's so many fans I've spoken to just said, look, Johnny Depp got cancelled, and he didn't even have a chance to put his perspective. Well, that's true. And then he did have a chance to put his perspective, and was roundly found to be a wife beater by a British court. But he's now had another chance to put his perspective exactly. in live televised proceedings. And there are people going, see, he's not an abuser. It's fascinating. One of the things that happened to fill the void that wasn't, I think, being filled by American journalists was the rise of commentary on TikTok and YouTube. Mm. And this oh, yeah, whole yeah, yeah. new generation. Yeah. yeah. And look, you know, these these two things might have, like, one might have led to the other. One might, they might have been happening either way. But the problem is, is that a lot of these accounts, and I don't want to name them, um, some of them do get information. Some of them do push information into the public sphere in a way that makes it very easy to consume. But they also push misinformation because they have no scruples because they've got a side and they don't care so long as their side, exactly right. side wins. And they've also got no training in, in proper investigation and fact-checking and the like. They just take stuff, they do what they want with it, they push it out there, and the misinformation goes hand-in-hand hand with the information, and they don't care, because all they want to care about is, is their side winning. One of the guys that I met in line was somebody that had come to the, herd the Depp Heard trial kind of on a whim. Mm -hmm. He ends up being caught in a photo that goes viral. Mm -hmm. He's reacting to something in the room, and he kind of makes a surprised face. This photo goes viral. All his friends are like, you got to keep going to court. Kind of like your story in the UK. Mm. He just starts coming every day. Oh, there are people who go to court simply to be on telly. And he gets, he blows up on Twitter. He gets like, he has to start a new Twitter account. Right. And it's got 30,000 followers now. And when I looked at it, they're all asking him questions about like, Heard's lawyer's strategy. And he's like, sorry guys, not a lawyer. <laughs> like they're literally using him as... Oh, a pundit, I know. because there are not actual pundits yeah, but that I did, I, can I, I, really yeah. speak to this. So it's that's the circus, though. And there's part of me that goes, you know, what do we want as human beings? Bread and circuses, and this has become a circus. And it is awful that at the centre of it are two people who are hurting. Um, I don't know who the abuser in the relationship is. I don't know whether there's mutual abuse. I don't know whether that exists. I don't have an opinion on it. But clearly, two. A relationship went horribly, horribly, violently wrong. 
and uh, those people right at the center of it are must be hurting and must be suffering but for everyone else they're either getting paid and i i'm getting paid um so i can't complain or they they've got the popcorn out and that's what we've done since time immemorial when i heard the very wild audio of the australia night mm. um and everything that kind of goes bad when the doctor comes in and amber's kind of crying in the background it was on a youtube channel called popcorn planet mm -hmm. which seemed to me like such the right commentary <laughs> about where we're at yeah popcorn planet um Okay, I have a million more questions no, for you, but we only have so much time. This and is so an epic podcast. It's an epic this podcast. Is an I need to. Do all your podcasts this long? Yes, I usually oh, okay. keep people about five <laughs> You're hours. You're in the Joe Rogan territory, aren't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. <laughs> I have no idea. This has been a fugue state. I have no idea what time it is. <laughs> I've been promised a drink, Sue. Okay, yeah. Well, <laughs> and I'm British. I'll, I'll pour it's a shot Friday. down your no, face. No, no, and no, I'm from a you. Sober no, no. no, it's okay. I, I owe it to you. Here's my last question for you. Um, here we are in Washington, D.C., we've got the Capitol in the background. You're sort of here. Like, what does this trial tell you about America? I, uh, well, it's, it's told me three different things. Um, I'm just wondering whether we should possibly yeah. pause. You put the dishwasher on. You put the dishwasher on. <laughs> Is there a dishwasher? Sounds like it. Did that just start up by itself? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's the ice maker. Okay. okay. Um, Do you want to ask that question again? Because it just, might have been yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Oh, hold on. What? Oh, what else? I thought yeah, it looked like I went on a run. We should have just um, decided to kill Ian, shouldn't we, just by talking for six hours. I know. <laughs> Watch him fall over. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So, now that I've taken up 600 hours of your time, I have one last question for you, which is that, you know, here we are in Washington, D.C., in the nation's capital. Mm -hmm. We have a view of the capital behind us. I'm a lucky boy. You are. What have you, what does this trial tell you about America? Uh, well, three things I have taken away from this experience. Um, the first is that people can be mean online. <laughs> God. <laughs> but I knew that anyway. Um, um, but yes, people can be mean about something, things they care about. Are they possibly meaner in America than? I, I'd say possibly unnecessarily. Um, I think there's this sort of, the, the, the concept of professional integrity, if someone doesn't like what you're saying, they will attack your professional integrity. There is that in the UK, but less of it, I would say. Um, because I don't think in America, people can believe that you can't be on a side. So if you're, if you're not on a side, you're a, you're a fraud because you're, right. you're, you're, you're trying to pull the wool uh, and therefore you can't be trusted, which right. is really, that's quite a new experience um, and, and quite difficult to negotiate. The, this, the second thing is that um, I have uh, fallen in love with deputy sheriffs with their with their casual easy authority and and the way that they um there's a particular deputy sheriff deputy williams who i've who i've got to know uh, reasonably well she's absolutely brilliant and, i think i saw her yesterday with the with the women yeah she's she's just exactly what you want from someone who carries yeah. a gun yes and um and so seeing how because we don't have a sheriff system in 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 our, in our the, the way our justice and policing system works we have the police and we have the court system and then we have orderlies and things like that so the sheriff system is really really interesting especially the way that it interacts with the police in the u.s and things like that so that is a, and, and and i've just enjoyed talking to those guys um uh, a lot um and then uh, the welcome that i have received almost without exception in america has been stunning i'm so grateful to the way that people have taken me under their wing they wanted to take me out to places they wanted to show me virginia show me maryland show me dc recommending all these places I can go. I had a taxi driver contact me on Facebook the other day after I was in Uber just talking about being in Washington. He said, oh, I hope you don't think this is weird, but I just put out a list of places that you ought to go and check out while you're in DC. And, you know, it's inviting me to stay and all this sort of thing. So the, 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 the generosity and the hospitality of the American people to a fault. And on top of that, the manners, the, 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 sort of the, the, the finesse with which social interactions happen is, oh. is far greater than grubby old London and, oh, and so I, I would have thought it the other way I thought you I thought we no, were the course no manners in the UK are based on snobbery and it's based on uh, sort of discerning where you're at whereas over here it seems to be just a wide open friendliness I would say the lower classes are much friendlier 
Oh, right, okay. Than the upper classes. Oh, well, I, have, I, I haven't mixed with any of them. No, <laughs> I don't they move in those circles. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's been a real gas. It's been a real trip. And um, I'm very privileged and lucky to have come here. And I want to come again. Come see Texas. Oh my gosh, Texas is a trip. I'm not inviting myself over, but yeah. I'd love to come see West Western side of America, West Coast. Oh, Never Texas is amazing. You got to come. I'd love to. And I'm inviting you. Oh well, that's that's very good. I did sound like I was angling for an invitation. <laughs> then, really. I've, I've told you off for going on too long on your podcast, and so, now I want to come and stay. <laughs> so, so I'm an awful when, person. When Sarah. I decided to come up to uh, DC to cover this trial, mm. there was one journalist I wanted to meet. And he was not there. No, I'm just kidding. It was you. Oh, here we go again. Okay. It was you, right. and fun, it so. turns out you were the only journalist there. So I had a hundred percent, hundred percent chance the of frazzled, meeting you. The frazzled-looking hack sitting mainlining coffee by the cafeteria, but watching the so live much. stream. Thank you for being just as generous as you sound, and in, in just as well spoken as you are in your podcast. I hope everybody listens to it. I think it's an exceptional. I think it's 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 an exceptional document of this. What I've heard is that it's the celebrity trial of the century. Glad, glad you finally agree. <laughs> glad we got there. Sarah, thank you so much for having thank me on this podcast. You. I'm honored. I don't get interviewed very often, and this is you've made it very easy for me. So thank, thank you, you very thank much. Thank you.